Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to a TVO podcast. I'm Colin Ellis, and you're listening to On Docs, a podcast about documentaries and the stories they tell. Today, I'm speaking with filmmaker Douglas Aerosmith about his latest doc, Picture My Face, the story of Teenage Head, which tells the story of Ontario's most notorious glamour punk band. It was something we never dreamed of. You know, we were down in the basement in Hamilton. We like to play really loud. Uh, we like to play a distorted sound. And it was the sound of chaos. Frankie was like, Canada's Johnny Rod. Your identity is so wrapped up in the band, the group, the music you make. And then one day it's gone. Hailing from Hamilton, Ontario, Teenage Head were a contemporary of bands like the Ramones, the B-52s, Talking Heads, and the Pretenders. Led by their charismatic lead singer, Frankie Venom Kerr, Teenage Head would play music festivals and release a couple of pretty successful albums. They'd also gain notoriety for a riot at Ontario Place 40 years ago. This is one of three gates that were closed last night about 7.30 when Ontario Place officials realized there were already more than 12,000 people inside the concert area. What followed the gate closing was an ugly scene between rock fans and police. The fact that a Canadian band was popular enough to create a riot gave you pause. It's like, really? One of our own has that power? Cool. It seemed like they were on their way to stardom, but a series of setbacks kept the band from breaking through. You're just rolling on down the highway. I think we had ACDC in the cassette deck, and just like that, bam, bam, bam. Car crash. I remember getting out. I'm shook up, but I'm okay. But there he was, just flat on the ground. I was thrown out somehow. And I remember uh, uh, trying to get up to walk, and I couldn't. The film falls Teenage Head's trajectory from their early jam sessions in high school to the tragic loss of their lead singer, Frankie Kerr, and the mental health struggles of guitarist Gord Lewis. Along the way, we see the band's resurgence as a new generation of fans discover their music. But when I first started seeing them, I'm like, wow, like these songs have that energy, a kind of energy that I... I, you know, I feel like I, I, I had missed out on it. I'd missed out on it, you know? Um, and you could feel it in the room. And a lot of it comes through that guitar. It's a sound that no one else has. That's director Douglas Aerosmith, who's with us today to talk about what it was like telling the band's story. Stay with us. Well, let's go back to the origin a little bit. Maybe we could just talk a bit about where Teenage Head kind of got started and, and how they formed in, in, in Hamilton, Ontario. Teenage Head, you know, forms in Hamilton, Ontario in the 70s. And what's really interesting about um, their story is that these are guys who who were first, you know, friends on the baseball diamonds, you know, playing hockey together, uh, just kind of knocking around, you know, on their bikes and, and, and that kind of thing. So, um, it you know, it's born of those early relationships. And, um, you, you know, they... they 
Steve says in the film, they, they were watching their older brothers and listening to the music, you know, they were playing and and watching their older brothers, you know, kind of hack around with guitars and drums and stuff. And they thought, you know, if they could do it, we could do it. And they began that way. You know, initially they they started out without Frankie Venom. Uh, they began playing... Uh, you know, it was it was it was Gord, uh, Nick, the original drummer, and Steve, and then they eventually approached uh, Frankie, who was in another band. He was a bit older than them too, right? That's right, and he's a bit older, and and you know, as Gord says in the film, he you know Frank had every, a girlfriend and everything, <laughs> you know. So, but but you know, early in the film, you know, it's. It, just back to meeting with the band, you know, it, I think it's a, it's a very weird craft, you know, leaving aside trying to sort of earn a living making documentaries, but the craft itself is, is weird, I think. Like, and part of it, I think, is, is maintaining this kind of openness, like you're, channels need to be open. And, and when I first met, I, I think it wasn't until I met Gord Lewis that I realized, wow, like, you know, I just, I felt this wave come off him when he came in and sat down, you know, he was very underspoken. But when he did talk, there, there was just, there was so much in it and you could just feel um, that something else coming off him. And I thought to myself at the time that like he's the carrier, the story, if you're doing this, you know, all the way is embedded in, in Gord Lewis and that, you know, the work of the documentary would have to be getting to the core of what, whatever that would be. Did you talk to, how did you, I guess, pitch the idea to Teenage Head? What was uh, their thoughts on a documentary about them? You know, it's it's funny because this was never my music. You know, it was always, I, I was aware of it, um, you know, coming through high school. But this was the music for the guys that were coming through two, three years ahead of me. Um, you know, and I, I knew it was a big deal and I could see the influence on, on that set, you know, of, uh, of, of, of friends and friends, older brothers even. You know, but we were listening to Simple Minds and, you know, the New Romantics and stuff like that. So I hadn't really focused on the music until a couple friends, you know, older friends came to me and said, yeah, you know, you're a music doc guy. Have you considered Teenage Head? And I hadn't really looked at it and was, it wasn't until I really turned and looked at the story and then eventually met the guys that I thought, wow, like, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot here. Uh, and there's certainly, you know, when you actually dig into it, these guys are what I call part of the, the kind of high orthodox, you know, rock music tradition in our country. And there's only a handful of bands that sort of have commanded that, you know, that kind of position, I think. Um, and these guys are one. So, event, you know, we set up a meeting through, uh, through, through some friends and I went out and, and I started you know, a conversation with them. Uh, Gene Champagne, the drummer, had seen the Ron Sexsmith film and had already kind of, you know, briefed the guys on, um, you know, some of my, my previous work. So, yeah, I mean, we just, we, we, we began with, with, you know, 
a cup of coffee, which led to a beer. And then, you know, we were kind of into it and discussing it. First was, you know, Gene and Steve. Uh, and, and then I, you know, that led to, you know, secondary meeting where I needed to introduce the project to Gord Lewis. I found myself not picking up a guitar. I found myself not writing. I found myself just not doing what I do. And I keep on telling myself that, Gord, this is what you do. Like, this is what you do in life. I mean, you got to keep on doing it. It's just kind of what you've been doing for the last over 40 years. I have a problem with depression. You can function when you're melancholy. You might not be at full speed, but your, your brain's still functioning. But once it, 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 it turns into depression, it kills everything. As a band from Hamilton, they sort of came roaring out of the basements, you know, uh, of Hamilton. And eventually, you know, felt that they were ready to take on Toronto, where they were up against kind of the OCAD set. You know, there's that documentary, The Last Pogo, that, that, that shows them playing with a, with a bunch of those bands at the Horseshoe Tavern. You know, and there's the diodes and, and the vile tones and, you know, bands like that. Uh, and then there's Teenage Head. And I think what stood out about them was that they were more melodic in, in ways. Um, it was a bit more kind of bubblegum. And um, the, the, the tracks would, you know, and melodies would stay in your head. Um, it's kind of pop friendly, right? Yeah, more pop friendly. And... You know, uh, I, I think what 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 came from that was that they were able to accomplish a, an awful lot of things in a very short period of time. You know, there was there's that kind of like lightning in a bottle thing with the, with these guys. Everything was beginning to happen. Hmm. Um, you know, and as the film documents, it, it started happening too fast. You know, and then there were obstacles, and eventually tragedy. Well, I was just going to say, and I guess, you know, they had a, a really horrible car accident, too, in 1980. I guess that kind of stalled their trajectory a little bit, eh? That was a big factor that, that changed their trajectory, that car accident, because it meant they, you know, their Attic Records had lined up a showcase in the States, and they were really going to break them. And, you know, it, it looked like that would, would have happened, except for that car accident. Mm. So that becomes one of those things that that Gord Lewis carries with him. The what if, what would have happened. That 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 what if I I could totally see that just haunting, haunting them or haunting him especially. Yeah, I think it's 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 a big part of the story, and I think, you know, they all say it's it's Gord Lewis's band, you yeah. know. Um, Gord brings the songs into the room. They, they all start with him. And I think, you know, as I got further into the process, I, I realized that that was part of the thing that he was carrying, you know, that, that he, Gord only ever wanted to do this. This, this, this he really saw his, his life consolidate around around the success of, of this. He knew he could do it. Hmm. Um, he knew he had it. 
he still has it, right? I mean, you still see that in the film. It's like, you know, but um, I think he he needed Frankie to to complete that. And did his death, I guess, just further his depression? Because it seems to have hit him harder than the rest. It's hit him harder than the rest. I think, you know, with the loss of Frank, you know, as Steve says, there's, you know, there's Gord before uh, Frank passed away and there's Gord after. And those relationships that you form at that early stage where you're, where you, you sort of consolidate around creativity or sports or, you know, that kind of thing. And, and when, it, when they work, they mean an awful lot to the young man, you know, at that time. And I just know that that's, that's part of what Gord carries with him, you know. He had found that. He'd found, he'd solved the kind of central puzzle of his life, and that was, what is it I'm going to do with myself? And what Gord was going to do was Teenage Head. Uh, or sorry, you interviewed Gord's brother, David Lewis, who's a pastor. And I think, you know, maybe this speaks to the depression, just the fact that, you know, what he says is that blues and rock and roll are, are about suffering while expressing hope. Um, I don't know if you can speak to that in the context of Gord's depression, but I thought it was sort of a, a line that's, you know, that, that spoke to me. You know, the, once we got to the, the core of what, Gord's story was, you know, I, I would go out to Hamilton frequently and I would just sit with Gord and have a beer. And part of the, part of what we were trying to determine and talk about was how much of this do we go after? How ghoulish do, do we want to get, you know, um, in, in kind of essaying what, what is Gord's depression? Um, and he, what I found out from Gord was that he really was interested in the topic. Um, I, I mentioned some interviews I'd done with Steve Earle in the past, you know, and Gord wanted to know all about that. What had Steve said about depression and melancholy, the two different, you know, ends of despair. And, um, you know, we talked a lot about that. And I think, you know, what it's funny because once we get in with Gord's brother, you know, he says, he says uh, emphatically, he says, I know, I know Gord has suffered. Like, you know, can I say it that way? He's suffered. And I, I, I just think that, um, you know, the, the real start to the present day story is that recording session where we're in studio and Gord has brought these old tapes in. And Gord is very quiet. He doesn't say anything all day. And then in the in, in the afternoon, I kind of get into these are the first questions, first time filming with them, and you know, suddenly Gord is animated. I, you know, I, I I ask you know what is it about what you know what's it like hearing these songs again? And Gord says, these songs are like old friends. I miss them a lot, and they remind me of Frank. And I miss Frank a lot. I think about him every day. <laughs> and I mean that. That's the film right there. But you, you, you know, it's you, you kind of wonder at times: Is Gord how present is Gord, or where is he? You know, and you realize he's right there. He's right there. Follow, you know, he's, you know, he's just he's in his head. 
and you have to wonder how how much of the you know the film that he's lived through is he constantly replaying and you know um it's um it's the space of the artist of the true songwriter isn't yeah. it to be somewhere in that spectrum you know fighting against total despair and depression you know but somewhat somehow trying to live in that melancholy space where where you can create something you know and gord's very aware of of that do you think like, like he's like that on stage like when he's playing i think he i think he is and, and then there's certain things that take him away and it can be as simple as you know a, a fan's face or you know someone laughing or smiling you know because I, I asked him a few times, you know, I saw you smiling there tonight. What, you know, what was going on? And he's like, just enjoying, you know, just, just, just enjoying the reactions. And, you know, at other times it would be, you know, he and Steve would exchange a glance and what's going on there. And it's like, just saying hi, you know, just like, hey, here we are <laughs> again. A thousand songs later, here we are again. Yeah. Well, Frankie Kerr, who you mentioned, uh, sadly passed away in 2008 and he's, you know, featured in the film through archival footage. But if he had been around, was there, what would you like to have asked him? Well, I think, you know, one thing I would have spent time on if Frank had been around, you know, to, to talk about it would have been, you know, let's go back to the heat wave. Let's go back to that summer of 1980. And, and I would have liked to really almost moment by moment get a, have him take us into what that was like because they're so young. Um, and I think part of the, the work of the film, you know, would have been trying to put a finger on what that gift was that Frank had. Well, you know, and did he know about it? Was he aware of the gift? I mean, when you see some of that early footage, and how Frank Kerr moves on stage, you just say to yourself, wow, like we, like we actually had a guy like that. Yeah, I, I was trying to think of a parallel, and I guess the closest I could think of was maybe Mick Jagger, just because, like you said, the, the, of his movements. But he's, the yeah, movements. But he, he's yeah. not really remembered that way, or he's not even re really thought of that way. Well, I wonder why that is. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, he's certainly remembered by other artists that way who who were paying attention and, and watching him that closely and you know and Gord Downey was one of those artists who modeled a bit of his his stage performance off Frankie Venom um, but I, I I think what what happened was you know the when when the band sort of plateaued out and and had lost that trajectory that was certainly in the cards coming out of the summer of 1980. I think that, you know, the view of them changed. And as Steve says in the film, you know, the, the, the record industry had moved on by that time, you know, the music had changed and, and you get a shot at it once is, is kind of the lesson I, I take from that, you know, and things only line up that way once. And, and you, you have to sort of get it right the first time. Um, we talked a bit about Tragically Hip earlier, I want cause, and I want to talk a bit about them because you, you do interview um, Rob Baker, who's the guitarist uh, uh, from the band. And um, 
you know, I thought I was, I was wondering why you, why you chose to, I guess, uh, talk to him and, and I guess, you know, what, maybe what impact a teenage head had on, on tragically hip. Well, we'd heard that they were, they were fans. We'd heard that the hip, uh, had been fans, you know, of teenage head and had been influenced. There was a, uh, there's a cover that they did early on of picture my face, which is, which is, uh, somewhere on the web. Um, there's similarities to the story. Um, there's the kind of, you know, the beginnings of the band formed through high school and those early relationships. Um, and, uh, there, there, you know, there's some, there's some overlap there, um, uh, with them. I think Rob had, Rob Baker had been involved or had gone out, uh, during one of the, um, uh, collective legal actions um, on involving publishing. And he sat in on one of those court cases and lo and behold, who was, who else was sitting in there was Gord Lewis. So they kind of sat together at the back and chatted a bit. Um, but, uh, you know, also there was the, you know, the loss of the front man and the impact of that, that element. Um, and certainly Rob, Rob was, um, you know, still working through that at the time we did the interview. Uh, and, um, you know, was, 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 um, you know, understands the kind of depth and what Gordy was going through Gord Lewis as well, you know, so as he says in the film, he says, you know, we, we lost our Frankie, you know, um, Gord is gone. And, and how do you continue once, um, once that happens? I haven't recovered from what happened to us and maybe never will. I've had to do some therapy and it put strains on my relationship. I was getting pretty deep in the bottle and you can, you can get pretty lost. When the band isn't there, you realize I may have fucked my life up in some way. You know, I had a great life with the band, but the band's gone and now what's left? Our Frankie is gone, right? Gord's, Gord's gone and uh, you can't replace Gord. It's not about musicianship, it never was. It's friendship, camaraderie, enjoying each other that's always something that's puzzled me um just as a fan of of rock music like you know and bands that i've really loved like either you know whether you're talking about like say nirvana or queen or joy division i mean in each of those cases you know they the, the rest of the band members had to decide what to do and uh obviously with joy division they went on and made new order queen is touring with adam lambert nirvana is you know completely gone they've gone on to do their separate things but with teenage head uh, they chose to invite a new lead singer. And I wonder um, if you could just talk a bit about what went into that decision and, and uh, yeah, why they chose that path, I guess. I think, you know, Dave Rave had been at the high school as well. So, you know, he was on the baseball teams, you know, and they all knew him from the beginning and he was always around. He'd, he'd played uh, backup, you know, he played, um, guitar on some tracks uh he'd he'd done some backup vocal stuff so i think for them it, you know when it came to reforming the band uh that was an easy decision it was just kind of they they, they didn't need to look any further than 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 dave rave and that allowed them to to 
to go back out and 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 kind of do what they had done but i think for for a time they were doing nothing you know so it's i don't know the exact date for when they kind of pulled that off but it's 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 very close to when we started filming uh uh, they, the band began to do these, uh, you know, a new set of shows. And they just started at small kind of almost biker bars, you know. In a high school, uh, too. Brampton and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and then they they eventually go back to Westdale, their high school, in the film, and they, and they play there. <laughs> I thought that was so cool. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's, char- it's got all that charm, you know. And I, I also like you know, Gord doing a walking tour and saying, yeah, that's the room where Frank and I first met, mm-hmm. you know, it was a wrestling class. And essentially what, what they did was they, they came home and choreographed a scene so that they would pass, you know, they came, came, came back and they passed the chorus. I, I just, I, I love how, how so much of it is steeped in that, those, those early, you know, the, the, the days where you're either, I mean, you could get really lost back then. You know, like when you think about it yourself, high school is such a difficult time and there's so much going on and it's like, what are you going to do and how do you navigate it? And, you know, and here these guys found a band, like they found a sound and that kept them kind of from disintegrating, Mm -hmm. you know, that was the way to do it. Like Marky Ramon says that in the, uh, in the film, you know, it's like about, uh, yeah, raging against your teachers, the you know the teachers suck, the principals suck, but you know you 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 turn that anger into your music, and that's how it's done. Like so, you know, and also uh, there's there's a scene early in the film where we go we go to uh, the grave, we go to Frank's grave, and what I love about ha- what happens there is that Steve points out that you know. Isn't it interesting that Frank is buried just meters away from those trails that they used to ride their bikes on and build forts on and stuff, you know? And he just kind of leaves it there. And, 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 and just the circularity of that is so good, I think. Yeah, I, I, I like their, their, their spirit, you know, that they're, they're, they're sort of this D, DIY, you know, you know, band that just refuses to quit and... Um, you know, we see them on tour, uh, I think, as a kind of a way to help Gord with his depression. And um, I guess, you know, we, we, we can sort of wrap up, but uh, I wonder if you could just speak to just how the band is doing now. And, uh, and, and you know, are they, I guess, well, everything's on pause right now because of COVID. But, uh, yeah, what are they kind of up to these days? Yeah, it's, it's too bad that we had this break because, you know, they were coming off a, a series of, of kind of test runs, you know, and... You know, they go out on that first out-of-province tour you see in the film to Thunder Bay and Winnipeg. And as Gord says, it feels right. It feels so good he doesn't want to go home, you know. Um, and uh, it's it's just that, that memories of what it was like with Frank. Um, and um, so I think that, you know, they... One thing they have is a very loyal fan base. You know, there's um, some people have seen hundreds and hundreds of shows that f- that kind of follow them, um, and they represent something that's timeless. I think for that audience, and it 
it makes them happy. That's the one thing that I noticed um, pretty soon into filming was looking at, looking at the faces of the people in the audience and seeing joy, seeing happiness. And I, like that really clicked for me. Um, it, it was amazing to see. Um, yeah. If you were to uh, recommend where people start with their music, what would, you, what would you suggest they start listening to first? I think they go back to Frantic City. Um, I, I, that's got, that's got many, many of these kind of, you know, early, I mean, that's their, that's their, it's their best record. I think that they've sold the most of that one. Um, you know, and then a lot of the, it's funny, the, the tapes that Gord finds that become part of that, that Warner music session in the film, um, these are tapes that Gord had, you know, sat in his closet for 20 years. I think that the selections they make for Fun Comes Fast is is a really great second place to land. Um, you know, but the, along the way, there's also the Teenage Head with Marky Ramon. There's also a Head Disorder. There's, you know, and there's a, there's a live record too along the way. But wow, there's, I really tried to let that indulgence take over the making of the soundtrack and the song selection. And so I think pretty much all of those songs make it in right down to the credit roll where we go, you know, to um, Total Love, you know? It's like, yeah, that made it, <laughs> that made it in, you know? So, yeah, I, I, think, um, I think it would be really good for them to get back out as soon as they can. Um, because that, that really was, as Steve says, the best medicine for Gord, you know, it, it, it really was helping. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of, I mean, they all have jobs, right? They, they, they all kind of have these, uh, other lives and other careers, but for Gord, it's, it's the band always has been. You know, he, he made that decision early on. This was his passion. This was, this was what he was doing. So, yeah, it, it would be great to see that continue. You know, and there's, you know, what about Music Hall of Fame status? What about, you know, what about that as a conclusion at some point, you know? Another chapter, like, you wonder. You know, they, 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 they have two major labels around them. You know, they've got Warner and Universal interested in them, both those, you know, so it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting watching that. Well, I hope to get to see them on stage one day. And uh, Douglas, this was great. Thank you so much for coming on On Docs today. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate the chat. And that's the podcast. Picture My Face, the story of Teenage Head will premiere on TVO at 9 p.m., on Tuesday, November 3rd, and be available to stream on TVO.org. If you liked what you heard, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, and better yet, tell a friend. If you want to get in touch, you can write to us at ondocs.tvo.org, and you can follow me on Twitter at ColinEllis81. Thanks to producer and editor Matthew Amara, production support coordinators Nikki Ashworth and Jonathan Hollowell, series producer Katie O'Connor, and executive producer for digital Lori Few. We'll catch you at the next screening. <laughs>